Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cast It Into the Fire podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Sherry. And we are back to The Fellowship of the Ring, Chapter 11, A Knife in the Dark. Whoa, ominous. So, where we left off um, was Chapter 10, Strider introducing um, Aragorn who will be a major character throughout the rest of... And everybody is starting out at the inn in Bree. Just preparing to sleep. And while this is happening, you're kind of let in on what's happening in Buckland, where they left behind after, you know, they crossed the Brandywine River and stayed for basically one night in Crick Hollow. Back at Crick Hollow where Fatty Bulger is house-sitting. And he was starting to have a really bad feeling of fear that he couldn't really explain. And it was getting worse and worse. And he thought he could see like black figures entering, like um, like shades of night creeping across the ground. And then there's something hits on the door and says, "Open in the name of Mordor." And the door just falls in and uh, lets the Nazgul right in. Yeah, the timbers burst and the locks broke. So. And then they hit. There's a horn. Um. A sound of a horn from a hilltop. And this part's weird. Awake, fear, fire, foes, awake. I think it was basically like... Imagine... Okay, I used to live in a town... Or we used to live in a town... Where if you called 911... They sent the fire department... The police department... And the ambulance... Just in case. And so this is kind of like... An all about... Alarm where it could have been any of those things, but it's a general alarm, which hadn't been sounded in how long? It was a long time. Um, Not for a hundred years, and the last time it was sounded was when white wolves crossed the Brandywine River when it was frozen over in the fell winter. Okay, so let's imagine all these horns, because there's horns sounding at different places in this place. Imagine, like, oh, where now? Where did I put that horn? It's been a but I, years. I'm confused. Is it implying that these words are actually coming through the horn like it's a no. megaphone, or is that no, a metaphor? I, I think it's it's more like a warning. Like you hear this horn, it means could be any of these things. I mean, I, 
I think you're right. It's just worded very oddly. Yeah. And so what had happened was um, when Fatty Bulger realized the imminent danger, he had actually um, let himself out through the back door and run for it. And he ran until he got to the nearest house and he which was more than a mile. Just he collapsed on the doorstep and all he was saying was no 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 not me I haven't got it. And no no one knew what he was talking about but they we realized knew, but... <laughs> that something wasn't right and they thought you know something from the old forest had invaded. And so these alarm horns are being blown all over Buckland. And the Nazgul run for it, get on their horses. One of them dropped a hobbit cloak in step as he ran. Oh, where'd he get that? From the inn, when they ransacked the room that the hobbits were supposed to be in, but weren't. Because I thought that this was happening before they got to the inn, like it's a time flashback. No. But they were not in the room. They had made up the room to look like they were in bed. Or the... Not necessarily the hobbits did it, but their the rooms were made to look like they right, were Right. I, I remembered that. I just wasn't sure whether this was happening at the same time as that or whether that it was happening before or before they made it to the inn. No, they were in the inn, but they were not in the bedrooms that they were expected to be in. Well, the Nazgul ride down the guards at the gate and vanish from the Shire because they they aren't going to find what they want. And they are thinking Sauron will deal with these hobbits later. Well, that guard might be hurt. I mean... Well, depends on what the guard did. So back at the inn, Frodo wakes up from having more nightmares about wind and galloping hooves. Strider is still awake, keeping watch. And yes, they they check out their uh, bedroom they were supposed to stay in, and the windows have been forced open, and the pillows and bed have been ripped and torn up, where they've put a mat to look like Frodo is like still sleeping in the bed. Strider calls in the innkeeper to show the devastation in the room and Which is amazing that Mr. Butterbur had not heard of the sound. 
But Strider's planning on, you know, them packing up and getting out, like, immediately. But... Which would, you know, be an... He hopes would be an end to, you know, the threat to the inn, because... And the, anybody else in the area as well. You know, this is happening because photos there, not just at random. Right. And... After Butterbur goes to uh, make sure the ponies are gotten ready and to get them a quick breakfast, discovers the ponies are all gone, the horses are all gone too, the stable doors have all been opened. So now the travelers have no ponies to ride. Which Strider does bring up that the The pace they were keeping keeping with a pony wouldn't change much except for they needed something to carry their supplies because the distance they'd have to travel and the inability to get supplies other than foraging. Hobbit pack ponies are not going to be outride are not going to be outride outrunning horses. Right. I'm sure the Nazgul would have had, you know, some of the very fastest horses, you know, they could have gotten, and... <laughs> Absolutely. Well... So, the, yeah, they're dividing up the package between the, themselves, which is more than they can conveniently carry on kind of picturing like the backpackers with a ton of yeah I've done that (laughs) I I went on a backpacking trip once where I carried (laughs) half as much weight on my back as I weighed and I was not a smart backpacker then. Like, full bottles of shampoo and conditioner. Didn't you bring some canned goods, too? Yes, I brought um, canned clams because I was going to be backpacking to, down to the ocean in Washington State, and I was told we we're going to dig for clams and I had my doubts we'd find any, so I figured the safe thing to do would be to bring some canned clams with me, which wasn't necessary, but I didn't didn't want to starve. Don't get me wrong, if I ever got the chance to backpack, I would probably carry some inadvisable things that weigh too much also. Well, I learned, (laughs) and I didn't carry things I don't I think in general I didn't bring shampoo or conditioner at all after that wash your hair when you get home you don't worry about it during the few days you're backpacking no they still want to have some pony to carry their stuff 
which means they're going to have to go looking for a pony for sale, which is going to delay them if they can even find one. As most of the horses slash ponies in that area were already being boarded there, and they were all gone. So... Gonna bring up that Lotro game I play again. Yes, for some reason they decided to put horses and ponies like everywhere throughout Bree. Very inaccurate. Like just about every color of horse you can think of. And. But yes, very few that you could actually, if you actually wanted to buy a horse that wasn't um, part of a reputation deed quest, you still had to go out of town for it. But anyway, yes, in the actual book, very few horses except for those that were stabled in that one stable that got raided. And... There was actually only one pony available to buy in the area. And this was an old, not well-fed... Bony, dispirited... And it belongs to Bill Fernie, the sketchy guy who... was talked about in the previous two chapters. And he wants... 12 silver pennies, which is at least three times what the pony was worth. Now, I don't know what, say, a healthy pony would go for in that part of Middle-earth. That's not something Tolkien ever really went into. But yeah, How much is a silver penny in modern dollars? Who knows? Right. <laughs> So they're getting a late start. The whole yeah. town's going to know about it. And the last person in town who you really want knowing your plans is going to know about. At the very least that they're looking for a horse to buy. And why would they want that? Well, it was very sweet of Mr. Butterbur, but he paid for the pony himself. And he offered, so they had silver pennies and they had pences. I ha I don't hear too much about actual money in uh, Middle Earth. Uh, not really. I mean, that's about, Smog had gold. Well, I, I don't think of gold necessarily as money. It's a precious metal, but... But I kind of picture it as having been at least, you know, worked in some way as opposed to just raw ore. Well, yeah, but it could be gold ingots. It could be gold jewelry. Various forms of, you know, gold can take. And but... yes, I know that there's, there's various quote-unquote Middle-earth coins that you can... 
buy on the internet, for instance, but they're not based on anything actually canon, so to speak. It's more of, like, just fandom trinkets. And they certainly aren't gold or... Oh, no. I think they made some kind of a quote-unquote elvish coin that looks kind of like a leaf. Yeah. Well, anyhow, uh, Butterbur... Um, he paid for the pony. He offered another 18 pence as some compensation for the lost animals. Now, I don't know if he ended up doing this for anyone else who lost animals, but if he did, then uh, that would that would come to a lot. But it says... 30 silver pennies was a sore blow to him. Being cheated by Bill Fernie made it harder to bear. But as a sort of... uh, kind of post thing to this, it turns out later, um, presumably after Frodo and the rest are already gone, only one of the horses had actually been stolen and the rest had been driven off or run away and they were found in various places and the ponies that had belonged to Mary had run all the way across the um, Barrow Downs to look for Fatty Lumpkin, Tom Bombadil's horse and Tom Bombadil cared for them for a while but eventually he heard about what happened in Bree and he sold them back to Mr. Butterbur at a cheaper price. And the ponies had to work harder in Bree, but they were treated well. And they missed out on a dangerous journey. And then goes, but they never came to Rivendell. Which I'm sure they were okay with. The ponies. Yeah. Well, they ended up getting a nice breakfast and not one they had to, like, quickly eat since they were delayed by over three hours. Um, and There was also suspicion because um, well, some of the travelers from the south had lost horses, too, and they blamed the innkeeper, but one of the travelers who was um, the guy who was talking with Bill Fernie had disappeared too and it was suspected that he was a horse thief so you know Butterbur rightly or wrongly thinks that um, the southern travelers brought a horse thief with them Anyhow, they had to get repacked and redistribute as much as they could to this poor horse, poor pony that, uh, you know, had to carry a burden. Um, and it probably should have just been sent out to pasture for retirement, but it had to get to work. 
and uh, they were able to carry more stores, maybe not enough stores, but they were able to carry more because of acquiring this pony. And pretty much everybody from that area and from the surrounding hamlets. Yeah, everybody gathers to go see them off so much for anything resembling secrecy. May as well be a big party. And they stuck to the main road because it, it made no sense to go through the fields or Because anything. that would have made people look at them even weirder. And they would have followed them worried about being you know, trespassed on or whatever. And before they have fully left the village, they see a house behind a hedge. It's ill-kept. And they see the, um, the face of the southerner in the house, which turned out to be Bill Fernie's house. Mm-hmm. And... Frodo thinks that the southerner looks like a goblin. Yeah. More than half a goblin. Yeah. And, well, I suppose it's not a giant spoiler that later implications in, um, further on in the story imply that he probably was. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh... Bill Fernie shows up to make some passing remarks about Strider. Calls it... Longshanks. Longshanks. Stick it, not Strider. I'm not exactly sure what that's supposed to imply. And he's heard some other names not so pretty. And tells Sam to not go ill-treating his poor old pony, even though you know he's been ill-treating the pony. And before, before they go, um, Sam actually throws an apple at him and hits him in the face with it. Square on the nose. Which was a waste of a good apple. Yeah, it's... This pony... Um, I'm not actually sure when this gets mentioned first, but the pony gets named Bill. Presumably after the owner. Okay. And why does he do that? I know. Yeah, th- this is the famous Bill the Pony... So yeah, they leave the village using the road. They pass two smaller villages, Staddle and Combe. And after they're passed there, that's when Strider's plan is to leave the road and, you know, go his own way across country, and Pippin is worried that this might be a shortcut, like their last shortcut, quote-unquote, through the old forest, which was nearly disastrous. 
and Strider, you know, pretty much, you know, he says he knows what he's about and, you know, his cuts, long or short, don't go wrong. They pass another town called um, Archet. I'm guessing these towns aren't much more than just a few homes and farms. And they never become important to the story. Now, if you, if I'm, I'm bringing up Lotro again, I know I bring it up too much. If Not you start the game as a human or as a hobbit, Archit is your starting off town. Like, you start off at level one from Archit. Um, if you start as an elf or a dwarf, you start from a place called um, Thorin's Gate, which is not in the books at all. Yeah. And that's allegedly located somewhere in the northern part of the Blue Mountains. So after they pass Archit, they're planning to head for Weathertop Hill and skip a lot of the road. There's actually a lot of, um, over the next couple of chapters, discussion of what the land looks like and um, different valleys and thickets that they cross or hide behind. Which, well, it's a, it's slow reading, but it shows Tolkien's attention to detail. Yeah. I think Tolkien, he's up there with Brian Jakes to me as far as being detailed. Maybe Brian Jakes is a little more detailed, especially with food. Especially with food. Yeah, but... It's like, like, I would feel, even if I had never watched any of the movies, I would feel as if I had, on some level, seen Middle Earth. Right. Well, I grew up with The Hobbit, and I did not... I, um, I didn't start seeing things on film until more recently in my life. Now, I don't feel like all of the details of what the land looks like match between The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Now, granted, a lot of years pass between. Right. But still, I think some things were changed a little. Oh, that, I think, always happens. And um, this is... They're still in the Breeland, and they're passing toward what, um... In the Hobbit would have been the Lone Lands. Yeah. I, I think they were at some point... I'm trying to remember if they were specifically called that here, too, or not. But it is the same place. 
Mm-hmm. Like, they're... They're heading in the direction of where... Oh, Bilbo and the dwarves are starting to... Not have familiar songs in the inns, and the they're starting to see ruins and things, but they haven't met the trolls yet. Right. They pass through an ordinary forest, from what I understand, called the Chetwood, and they're not they're not meeting any people. They're barely seeing animals either. They see one fox, they see a few squirrels, they see some birds. And they next get to the Midgewater Marshes, which Aragorn apparently had a need to pass directly through. Granted, that'd be a tough place to follow, but... I don't know why he had to go through them instead of around, personally, but he had his reasons. So, treacherous ground, you gotta get the right path, which may have changed, because, you know, maybe it rained, maybe it didn't, and that's how wetlands are. I don't know, I'm picturing, like, I know the various like cranberry bog marshes, not not the you know tended you know bogs themselves, but and some of the marshes that are like wetlands where the ground's kind of soft and like you step wrong at all and you're going in up to your knee in mud. Oh yeah. A lot of that near the ocean, too, but I don't... I don't think it would have been... They're not near ocean, so it's not going to be the same. Well, I have to bring up, since you're talking about mud and the ocean, that very trip where I brought the canned clams. It was a very steep, you know, downhill hike to the ocean from up above. It was pretty far down and the path was extremely muddy to the point where I actually was stuck with my backpack on to like my belly button in the mud and I had to be pulled out and so I was coated in this thick mud oh my goodness um and I ended up walking with my backpack on into the ocean when I got down there to try and demud myself. Because that was the closest thing I was getting to a bath. Was walking into the Pacific Ocean. And remember, they have a pony with them. They have to think about not having the pony do something and 
go the wrong way and sink in. It's not really going on about the mud as much as I am, but... <laughs> Actually, I think they go more about the midges. It is called the Midgewater Marsh for a reason, so they're being driven crazy by biting insects. And they also have something described as creatures that have the that from the sound of them were evil relatives of the cricket and they go neek breek breek neek and Sam calls them neeker breakers <laughs> oh they don't sound that unpleasant to me but I mean I'd care a lot more about the midges yeah they weren't biting me getting into my clothes like go ahead the... crickets make noise all you want right And ironically, um, while I'm saying this, I'm looking at a box with a carving, uh, it's accurate actually carving, oh, of a northern spring peeper frog. That's one of the loudest things you're going to find in a marsh. I wouldn't say Middle Earth necessarily has them. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but it's not a European species. Yes, I wood burned on a little box. Yes, that Various... game I play has peepers in it, including the real noises um, added in. But I wood burned various <laughs> things you would see in Pennsylvania: northern spring peeper, timber rattlesnake, little brown bat, wood turtle, and eastern redback salamander. If you want a noisy thing that lives in the marshes. You get a lot of spring peepers together right up close, and it is loud. Oh, yeah, but it's so nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, the hobbits did not... It sounds like sleep well with the Neeker Breakers chirping all night. And... I'm not sure how long they are in the marsh. It says about the fourth day. Is that the fourth day out, or were they in the marsh four days? They went into the marsh on the third day, and they came out on the fifth day, I believe. So they had to sleep with this, and, which, well, they didn't really get much in the way of well, sleep. Well, apparently the Nico Brickers weren't in the entire marsh, just, uh, like in the middle. But the midges, the midges are everywhere. And Frodo, while he is laying there not sleeping, sees a light in the eastern sky that keeps flashing like lightning. And Strider doesn't know what it is either. So later on this gets brought up again. When they finally uh, leave the marshes behind, they're starting to get hills. And in the distance, uh, there's a higher hill, a bit separated, that... Um, Strider says is Weathertop. A um, bit of background information. Weathertop is also called Emmonsul, which uh, in Elvish, Windy Hill. Yeah, I can see that. And Strider's making for it. But he wants to approach it from a particular direction, 
So they kind of have to go around about to get to... They, they want to have more cover as they approach. They want to see the view from the top of the hill uh, without being seen from the top of the hill themselves. And doesn't doesn't even want birds or animals to see them. Not all the birds are to be trusted, and there are other spies more evil than they are. Now, that thing about the birds, that's weird. I understand this is fantasy and the possibility of animals that aren't, you know, just regular animals can exist if Tolkien wants it to. Look at Redwall. Yeah, look at Redwall. Look at the eagles. Like, there's eagles which are dangerous but on the side of good. There's... So, wargs, which are not quite normal wolves that are on the side of evil. I don't know where is the line between an animal that's just an animal and an animal that's, um... Got motives and, <laughs> uh, taking sides and... And that won't be the only time I bring this up either, but it, it's... It's confusing and not fully explained. And meanwhile, the land is becoming drier, less marshy. There's a stream that they're following, which trails off into the marsh, which makes sense. So they're going. They're approaching Weathertop from the north. And also, there's a moment where um, Frodo is noticing that he's thinning out from all of his traveling and having less food and he makes an offhand remark that he hopes the thinning process doesn't go on indefinitely or I shall become a wraith and Strider doesn't take that as a joke at all and says do not speak of such things which you know comes across as if you know to to Strider's experience, becoming a wraith is a thing that could happen. Yeah. A defoto that's just a, a joke. It doesn't mean anything. But he's trying to let Frodo know that there's so much you don't know. As they're approaching the hill and climbing it from another angle, they're taking a path that had been built, and it's somehow not... It's somehow avoiding view, I'm not exactly sure how. But there are spaces where there would have been a view of where they were, except for boulders and rocks have been put up to block view. And Mary is actually suspicious of it because that reminds him of the Barrow White. And he asked Strider if there was any Barrow on Weathertop. And Strider says there was no Barrow on Weathertop, not any of these other hills either. And the men of the West um, didn't live here.
but they'd used this area before. They had defended the hills against the evil that came out of Angmar, and they had had forts and a watchtower on top of Weathertop. And that is where Elendil had watched for the coming of Gilgalad out of the west in the days of the Last Alliance. Which is actually, that's when Sauron had been defeated before and lost his ring. You know, to bring you back to the chapter of the Shadow of the Past. And the hobbits, they don't know that any of this is connected with Strider or uh, his family. But they realize that he's learning an old lore, not, and also in ways of the wild. Mary asks who Gilgalad was. And instead of Strider answering, he just starts murmuring some... No, he doesn't start. Another one starts murmuring some old poetry. And it starts off, Gilgalad was an elven king, of him the harpers sadly sing, the last whose realm was fair and free between the mountains and the sea. I'm, I'm not giving the entire um, poem, but it, it talks about his armor and about him riding away and falling in Mordor where the shadows are. And when they looked to see who had spoken, it was Sam. Who, and Mary's just like, don't stop. And Sam says he doesn't know anymore. He learned it from Frodo. No, Bilbo. Sorry. I know. It, it was, Sorry. he learned it from Bilbo, who used to tell tales like this. And he always wanted to hear more about the elves. And he'd, um, learned his letters from Bilbo. And he wrote poetry, and he had actually written this, and then he got corrected that he wasn't the original writer of it. Well, not corrected, but informed. By Strider. Yeah. And Sam had said there was a lot more. It was a about Mordor, but he didn't like that part. It gave him the shivers, and he never thought he would be going that way himself. It's called the Fall of Gilgalad. <laughs> and, and Bilbo must have translated it, because it was written in an ancient tongue. And Pippin is, you know, saying, going to Mordor, I hope it won't come to that, and Strider, once again, do not speak that name so loudly. Kind of in the same vein as don't joke about becoming a wraith. Yeah. They get to a spot on the hillside that looks like 
an okay campsite. Like, it's a bit of a hollow. Well, Adele. And they're gonna leave Sam and Pippin there with the pony. And they're able to see that I'm sorry, am I looking at the wrong part? Yeah, I am. Yeah, they leave Sam and Pippin there with the pony and Mary and Frodo go with Strider to the top where the ruins of the tower is just a ring of ancient uh, stonework and there's a cairn of broken stones in the middle which uh, look like they've been blackened with fire and the grass up top has also looks like it has been burned which means a recent fire. And to get a really wide view all around of all the lands. Quite a view of the roads and mountains in the distance. They can see the misty mountains in the distance. And Mary's just noting, I don't see water and I don't see shelter and I don't see Gandalf. question their decision to go up there um, especially you know like just standing there because it's a lot more easier easily seen you know them standing up on a hilltop uh, than uh, for them to see anybody who might be seeing them behind it. And was anything that they learned up there so worthwhile to them that it that the risk of being seen was worth it? Well, with the exception of that there had been they fire. they saw that the fire had been there. And um, they found a stone. That stone is also of importance. It had some scratches on it that it wasn't as clear as it could be, but Strider thought it might be a G rune left by Gandalf, you know, his initial. And um, th- three scratch marks for having been there on the 3rd of October. Yeah, the scratch marks were fresh, so they weren't anything ancient. So. And he must have been in a hurry and in danger, or he would have left something clearer if it had been Gandalf who left this. And, um, it came to Strider's thoughts that the light that was seen three nights ago in the eastern sky likely was, you know, the fire and the attack that obviously happened up there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, when Gandalf gets attacked, 
pyrotechnics are kind of his thing. Uh, if if you've ever read The Hobbit, you know that. So they are glad to have gotten possible news that Gandalf <laughs> has gone on the way that they're going. They just don't know where he is or if anything bad happened to him as a result of that attack. And Mary wants to know how far Rivendell is from this. And uh, Strider says that the road hasn't been measured in miles beyond the Forsaken Inn a day's journey east of Bree. Uh, I don't know why this Forsaken Inn is brought up because they they're not you know ever mentioned as having stopped there and it wouldn't have been smart if they did. I feel like it makes me wonder if Tolkien had intended this to be a stop and then changed his mind and just had it be like part of his lore that it exists. Maybe or or it yeah might have been an option but it wasn't an option they could take. I wonder if Bilbo and the dwarves ever stopped there. If that was where they were hearing strange songs they didn't know. Yeah, I don't know, maybe. But it it it, it was never mentioned there either. It's it's just a thing. Beyond that... And maybe they didn't want a repeat of what happened in Bree. Exactly. Now, Strider says it's a strange road and folk are glad to reach their journey's end whether the time is long or short. But he thinks that if he was walking himself with good weather and nothing bad happens, it would be 12 days for him to make it from where they are now to the Fort of Brunan, which is um, very close to Rivendell because it's where the river flows out of it. Mm-hmm. The Loudwater River. And he thinks it's going to be a fortnight with um, them and especially without using the road. And um, a lot can happen in a fortnight. And Frodo is feeling very homeless and in danger. He's missing the Shire. He doesn't want to continue traveling, but he has to. And while he's looking down and thinking these kind of thoughts, he sees two black specks on the road. And then looking in the other way, he sees three more black specks um, We're co- talking off in the distance, black specks. The kind that grow larger as they get closer. Right. And Strider has the sense to get down now and pull Frodo down too, and Mary gets down. And Strider says the enemy is here. And they all think correctly that these black specks are black riders on the road. So that would make five of them. Yeah. They head back for their camp. And Sam and Pippin have been exploring it some. 
they found a spring with water and they found footprints near that spring fallen rocks and a store of um, firewood that's been left and Pippin thinks Gandalf might have left it for them and Strider is interested in it too and he wants to go look at the footprints but Sam and Pippin have already spoiled it by putting their own footprints on the soft ground and Strider says it's the rangers that (laughs) have been there recently and they had left the firewood behind. And that the footprints had been left by somebody wearing heavy boots, which already would mean not hobbits. Right. But he thinks there's been a lot of people in boots and the hobbits are all thinking of the Black Riders and their boots, whether it was them or not. Right. Sam thinks they should leave immediately. And he's getting a a bad feeling about the place. Which, you know, in real life, yeah, maybe you could call that being nervous or superstitious, but there seems to be an actual effect of the riders that you get a bad feeling when they're nearby. This is a world where magic exists. Maybe you should take that seriously. Strider thinks that even if they were to move, they're just going to be more likely to be seen because they're moving. And how bare and flat for miles it is and Mary asks if the riders can actually see and here I'm gonna do some clarification and also correct something I said in an earlier episode I said something about the riders being blind or maybe I maybe I said they were blind during the daytime I don't remember that's a big oversimplification oversimplification of what it really is and that proves that I hadn't read it freshly so they can't see much during the day they can't see the world of light as we do so what they can see is shadows cast by things except for when it's like directly midday but yes they can still smell and at night, they could, quote unquote, they can perceive many signs and forms that are hidden from us, and that's when they are most to be feared. Now, I'm not sure what's meant there. Like, I used to think maybe it meant like they could see like the spirit world, and maybe Possibly. that's it. Well, but I've wondered. Sorry, I interrupted. No, go ahead. But I've also thought maybe it's like an infrared thing. Don't be growling. Yeah, well, also their horses provide sight for them. Uh, and. So, you know, riding on horses helps 
I think them find their way better. And this brings us back again to the question of, like, when is an animal just an animal and when is it on the side of um, good or evil? Right. Now, I feel like the implication is the horses are on, are actually evil in some way, which, yeah, part of me doesn't like that. Right. Especially since, you know, it's later revealed, you know, they are horses, like horse horses, possibly descendants of horses that were stolen. Maybe just like the feeling that, um, like the hobbits get when they're near, uh, is so strong that the horses are like possessed Mm -hmm. by... It might be something like that. Or even if there were nothing supernatural about them, they might be trained. Right. And it also it says that the riders can smell the blood of living things and they desire it and hate it. And they have senses too other than sight or smell and you can feel their presence... Which troubled our, their hearts as soon as they got there. Which and I'm saying, okay, then leave. Um, and the biggest thing? The ring draws them. Yeah. So, as long as Frodo has that ring... He's got a Black Rider magnet. Yeah. And Frodo thinks that okay, if they move, they'll be seen and hunted. And if he stays, they'll he'll draw them to that the place. And Strider thinks there is still hope. And then they're not alone. And whoever left that firewood was um left that to help them. And they're going to build a fire. Because Sauron can put fire to evil uses as he can all things, but the riders don't love it and fear those who wield it. And Sam is under his breath saying that it's a good way of saying, here we are. And he's right. So it kind of sounds like there isn't really a non-black rider attracting way for them to do anything. Well, they've been doing here we are type things throughout, anyhow. You know, singing, hilltops. Um, so, the fire may be here we are, but it's also something they don't, black writers don't want to deal with. Although, how much do they really not like fire? I'm I'm not so convinced. Well, that doesn't stop them. No, don't. Well, they make themselves a dinner, well, a small dinner. Yeah, they're still eating meager rations. And it was the first time they've, I think, eaten since morning. And this talk about the land being empty except for animals and birds. And that rangers pass that way sometimes, but not many, and they don't stay. And 
Sometimes trolls might also come down out of the northern valleys of the Misty Mountains. As far as I'm concerned, they're not taking the troll threat seriously enough, but... And also, sometimes they have um, travelers on the road, mostly dwarves, and they don't really want to stay around and talk. And they're certainly not going to likely offer food and anything help. And as for their own uh, food they're carrying, if they have to, Strider can gather um, edible plants or he can hunt, but that's going to take even more time. Time is something they don't want to waste. They want to, you know, make progress as much as they can. It's getting darker and colder. I don't know whether this is a black ridery type of thing or just because it's October. And most October. most people are not camping in October. And yeah, Mary wants to hear more about Gilgalad. But Strider doesn't want to tell this story right now with so many enemies at hand, I guess because the ending is so dark. And he says he'll tell the story in full if they manage to get to the house of Elrond, you know, where it's safer. So instead he decides to tell um, part of the tale of Tenuvial. Um, that would be Baron and Luthien. Uh, if you want the full story of Baron and Luthien, oh, this is Silmarillion. This also, um, an actual full book about, um, the lay of Baron and Luthien that has been published, um, actually in the last few years. It was one of those unpublished notes of Tolkien that were around that uh, whoever's doing his estate stuff got published you know, later. Now, Strider chants this. It's actually a song. And it, it's, it, it's long. It's like two pages uh, in length. And I'm not, you know, going to give it in full, but it starts, The leaves were long, the grass was green, the hemlock umbels tall and fair, and in the glade a light was seen, of stars in shadow shimmering, Tenuvial was dancing there, to, mu to music of a pipe unseen, and light of stars was in her hair, and in her raiment glimmering. And... Now, to paraphrase, this is the story of um, Baron, who was a mortal man, and Luthien Tenuvial, Tenuvial meaning ni Nightingale, who was uh, the most beautiful of elf maidens, and 
they they fell in love. They went a lot of um, dangers together. And Theron had to take a Silmaril from Sorry, I'm I'm losing my I don't want to make up a... I don't want to make a mistake with this. Hey Nim, don't chew plastic. Pardon me while I uh, be looking something up. But uh, this is nine verses long, and Sarah, you know, just uh, read you the first of the nine verses. So yes, Baron cut a Silmaril from. Morgoth's crown as um, part of um, getting the approval of Luthien's father, King Fingal, to you know, marry her. And there was also a time of being in the Dungeons of Sauron. Oh! <coughs> Yes, if you want the full story rated in the Silmarillion. Yeah. But a, a part of this was oh, she is an immortal elf and he's a man. Um, he's going to die eventually and they're not even going to go to like, the same afterlife. She's the daughter of Thingol. Thingol and Melian. And Melian was a, a Maya. She was like of like the same class of beings as like Gandalf and also Sauron. Nim, you're not gonna have candy. I'm sorry, the dog is being disruptive. So. <laughs> well, part of their story <coughs> includes, um, Baron actually um, I'm sorry
Luthien ends up giving up her immortality, but also, um, they both get to come back to life eventually. So, it's a great love story. None of it is exactly the normal experience for elves or for humans. And this is part of um, Strider's family history, Elrond also. Because both both are descended from Baron and Luthien. I'm sorry. Here I am like, stuttering over this and I'm sure if I have any serious Tolkien scholars listening, they're like, no. Well, you could always get into more detail in a future podcast on things that you want to do, too. Um, Strider explains that this poetry is in a, mo- in a mode that is called Anthanath among the elves, and it's hard to render it into common speech, that this is only a rough approximation of it. explains some of the stuff that um, we already did about the story of Baron and Luthien and the Silmarils and Sauron's dungeon and when Baron got uh, killed by the wolf that came from the gates of Angband and Luthien choosing mortality but also They both got to come back, but also they both eventually died for real, also. So Luthien was the only one of the elf kindred who died indeed and left the world. And I think the implication is she went to the human afterlife. Because elves have a different one that they can sometimes be reincarnated back again from. Um, not that it really goes into that here. And then it goes on about the descendants. Dior, Elwing the White, and Arendelle. Um, no, Arendelle married Elwing the White, and he sailed his ship out of the mists of the world into the seas of heaven with the Silmaril upon his brow. And Arendelle was the ancestors of the kings of Numenor, that is Westerness, which would mean Aragorn's ancestors also, not that this is fully explained yet. And, you know, the stars are in the sky, the moon is rising, it's getting late. (laughs) And they think they see something small and dark in the moonlight and maybe it's just a big rock. Their fear feeling is increasing. And they 
feel like something is climbing up the slope. They don't actually see anything. They feel that something is climbing the slope. But Mary also thought there were two or three black shapes. And Strider tells them to keep close to the fire with their faces outward and to get some of the longer sticks ready. So I guess they, they got torches. And Pippin actually sees a shadow come up over the edge of the little dell that they're in. And then there's three or four black figures and they just look like bits of the night that are darker and they can also hear the breath and feel the cold coming from them. I've made the comparison before this sounds similar to Harry Potter Dementors and a bit like the White Walkers from Game of Thrones this came first maybe it's coincidental maybe it isn't or maybe it's just you know some thematic similarity And while this is all happening, Frodo actually very strongly has the feeling that he needs to put the ring on. And it's not out of, oh, so he can become invisible and hide. There isn't any reason he can think of to do it. He just feels that he needs to put the ring on his finger right now. And he resists this feeling for a little bit but then he t gets the ring out and he puts it on his hand um, on his finger I mean and then right away he can see some things that the others can't he can see like into the um, the dark shapes of the riders and he can see what their faces look like and they have keen and merciless eyes long gray hair helms of silver they're holding swords of steel in their hands and they can clearly all see him and they rush for him and he pulls out his own sword which seems as if it's flickering red like a firebrand and two of the riders stop and then the third who's taller than the others and has long gleaming hair and a crown on his helm. He has a sword and he also has a knife too that um, the knife has a sort of pale glowing. Now I'll say I think the reason why Frodo's sword was glowing red was because it was, you know, an ancient sword from Westerners. It had some kind of magic that um, probably is visible with his uh, ring vision on. And so the rider who has the sword and his knife out um, springs for Frodo and Frodo throws himself onto the ground forward 
and he hears himself calling O Elbereth Gilthoniel. So it makes it sound like it wasn't really a conscious choice of his to call that out. Um, that's that's what those um, elves were singing back in the Shire when um, when the Black Riders were threatening them the, you know, earlier on and the elves scared them off. And he strikes at the foot of his enemy with his sword And they hear a shrill cry, and Frodo feels a pain like a dart of poisoned ice pierce his left shoulder, and he pretty much faints away, but before that happens, he catches a glimpse of Strider leaping forward with a torch, and the last thing he does before totally passing out is he drops his own sword and takes the ring off of his finger and closes his hand on it. And the chapter ends. Pretty intense chapter. Yes. You know, for all the talk about Nazgul not liking fire, they seem to only dislike fire the normal amount. As in, not actually want to be set on fire. Not actually want to be hit with a torch. Right. And that's that's basically everybody. I mean, it, it doesn't seem to scare them that much. They're scared of fire in the sense that a regular person would be scared of fire, not... And I really feel like Tolkien intended it to be more. Yeah. Maybe he just wasn't sure what to do beyond what he did. I would think this chapter would have taken so many rewrites. I don't know. And I think that Tolkien probably took a lot more than the average amount of... um, care with getting his books exactly right. Right. So, yeah, that's, um... That is quite a cliffhanger. Frodo has just been injured with, um, a weapon that obviously has some kind of evil magic. Nim is serenading you, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, after she's already had her uh, let's chew on plastic. Well, she's trying to tell everybody it's bedtime. But, uh... It seems that the Black Riders have been temporarily driven off, but, um, certainly not in any... anything they can hope is going to be a permanent way. And we've seen a very uh, interesting view of what happens if you put the ring on. You can see them, they can see you. 
they're really freaky looking. They've still got their crowns on when they used to be king, and yes, Frodo's sword glowed red also. Do you have any more to say about it? No, I don't, uh, but uh, maybe we should decide what, you know, what they'll be hearing next. I stumbled over the Baron and Luthien story so bad, it really deserves its own episode, which I may someday do, but I'm not really prepared to do it now with so many projects going. Um, the next chapter after will be Flight to the Ford, chapter 12. But, uh, you may be podcasting something else sooner, correct? Yes. We will finally cover the Bakshi Lord of the Rings with Bill. And Bill's here. Say hi. Yeah, Bill is a... I'm here wrestling the dog. Bill is a bit of a Bakshi film buff more than me. I mean, I like Lord of the Rings, but I... I haven't really watched his other stuff. I've seen Nim some pictures. Who? Nim? A few yeah, clips. Nim oh, Nim, Nim always likes too. to pipe in on uh, podcast days. Oh, You've been been uh, an excited pup? Anyhow. Thank you for listening to Cast It Into the Fire podcast and have a good night. Bye.